I'm Roberto, engineer turned PGA Tour player turned businessman. And I'm Dan, businessman on the weekdays and average golfer on the weekends. On the Course Record Show, we talk to some of the smartest people in the golf business and get the inside stories and strategies driving the business of golf forward. This 2022 predictions episode is brought to you by Holderness and Born. It's a good time to talk about sweaters. I live in the South and it's cold, so I can only imagine what Dan is dealing with in Boston. What I've been wearing about five days a week is the Sergeant sweater. It's a classic crew neck in an elevated fabric. The Merino cashmere blend comes from a fourth generation fabric mill and it feels so good. And I love the cut. Honestly, I don't like slim fit sweaters. I don't need a sweater clinging to me all day. And this one fits perfect. Snug in the right places, but plenty of room to move. Plus, it's washable, which is nice. Check out the Sargent on hbgolf.com under layering. I just looked and they added a new blue version called Heathered Windsor. Think one shade lighter than a Carolina blue. It's pretty sweet. That's hbgolf.com. All right, Dan, welcome to the Course Record Show 2022 predictions episode. I am, I'm here for it. I have a Guinness in hand. I was trying to do dry Monday to Thursday, January, had two beers at lunch on Tuesday, a couple at dinner last night, and here we are on a Thursday with a Guinness in hand. So it's going really, really well, but how are you doing? I'm great, bud. I, not to one-up you, I lasted five hours, I think, with dry January, and I went full Manhattan tonight. So you and I are uh, spirited in our spirits tonight. So let's, have this, let's get these predictions going. I like it. So concept tonight is to put some 2022 predictions out there. There will be no guests. Don't be too disappointed to our audience. It's just me and Dan. And we're just going to go through some business of golf predictions. Let's open with a lightning round. I'm just going to throw some quick ones at you and you fire back. Some will be business, some will not be. And then we'll kind of get into the heavy stuff. You good? Ooh, put me on the spot. Let's go. Put you on the spot. All right. 2022 ROMs over under majors john rom two you going over or under oh under okay uh club pro guy goes the way of elizabeth holmes and is imprisoned for wire fraud a man of such integrity i'm going sell i'm not doing that nelly corda same question over under majors two well there's five in the women's game so that 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 spices things up a little bit so where are you going i think it's right at two okay push 2022 prediction, your wife will finally let you put a simulator in your basement. I can't get a backswing in here, so it's not going to happen, regardless of whether or not she wants to or not. <laughs> okay. I thought you had the space. You just didn't have the clearance. You know, I'm which... working on it. I got I to gotta dig. I got to dig. Garage apartment. That's what you need to be focused on. That's right. All right. Prediction, 2022, Rory and or Spieth finally just break down and pay no laying up for being their official PR firm. Oh my goodness. Spicy. Because they should be, right? I mean, they, there might be a rep share on the PIP stuff. You know, that, that, that's probably the best way to structure it. Align incentives. Yeah. Uh, so if that counts, sure. Okay. All right. And then this one could be half serious and maybe lead us into 2022 predictions. The Netflix series, the Drive to Survive PGA Tour version, does it fall flat or is it a big hit? I think it would be a bigger hit if it wasn't a follow to Formula One's thing. I think we'll find out, hey, 
it would have been great without Formula One. It's going to be okay with the Formula One as the benchmark, is my opinion. Yeah, and the, the benchmark sequel never the sequel never tops the original. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And and the benchmark is so high in that to call it as successful as Drive to Survive, it would have to bring people that know nothing about golf to watching it every weekend, which is what Drive to Survive has done for a lot of people in Formula One. So the benchmark is very very high. I mean, Formula One, so much action is off, off of the actual track, and that's what was so beautiful about it. I don't think quite the same holds true for golf in the same way. Maybe. And we're exploring that, of course, their course record show. But, but the, the politics and the amount of money in the game is so crazy in Formula One that, like, that's the part that really sticks with me. So, yeah, that's I, fair. Uh, it's, it's, it, I'm excited to see it. I'll watch. Don't get me wrong. But... um my expectations are, are tempered. Yeah. No, golf fans are going to watch every minute of it. The first weekend it comes out, the bar to jump over is kind of mainstream culture adoption of it. So we'll see, but I think it's great. I think it's great. That they're doing it. They had to, like, frankly, they had to make some sort of move in that direction towards, you know, a wider audience. So, all right, let's talk 22 predictions. We had kind of mentioned the format share with me a thought that you you ran me through earlier because I think it's a really, really smart way to think through things. So maybe share that with us before we get going. Yeah, I, I am happy to. I am super excited to talk about predictions for the year and hold ourselves accountable to them. So when we get into the actual predictions, there's sort of two things I want to separate for us. One is the outcome. Did it happen or did it not? That's obviously the headline, but I want to go one level deeper and probe the thinking. When I mean the thinking, there's sort of two things. We're going to talk about the outcome, of course. We're going to talk about what would have to be true for that outcome to actually materialize. So when we say a prediction, we're obviously making assumptions of what the world will look like throughout the year that will either lead the outcome to come true or not come true. So two things separate there. The assumptions that we assume are going to happen, that they take place or not. And if they did, did the, did the outcome actually come, come to fruition or not? So was it the prediction on the assumptions that we hold true? Did that come true or not? Or was our analysis of the cause and effect between the assumptions and the outcome come true? Okay, that makes sense to me. I think it's a good way to look at it. And so let's take them one at a time. You lead the charge. What do you got? Well, since you were talking about my fictitious but still coveted simulator, why don't we start there? Right. I think 22 will be a big boom for simulator, virtual, and other forms of non-green grass golf in the U.S. And I'm talking about a growth of 20 plus percent when I say this. And you say across the board, so home simulators, simulator golf clubs, whether public or private, all sorts of, including Top Golf and Drive Shack and Putt Shack, all that stuff you're putting in the same All bucket? that stuff, all okay. that stuff, okay? So I'm going to hold myself accountable to my own rules. What would have to be true for this prediction to have a chance of materializing is the number of green grass golf rounds has to keep growing faster than the capacity of the courses that can host them. So my assumption is based on the fact that 
you know, golf is growing and COVID has been a big boom, but the number of courses hasn't grown by nearly the same amount. So people who really want to golf have to sort of balance a diet of like playing green grass and non-green grass golf. That is core to my, to the extent I'm predicting this to be 20% plus. Okay. So you're saying there's somebody out there who's got the golf bug. They want to go play, but the course is busy. They can't get a tee time or they didn't call the seven days in advance. So they're like, damn, I want to play twice this week. I only got the one tee time because golf course was booked. So Friday, I'm just going to go to Top Golf or go to the simulator club and, and get after it. You, you nailed it. That's exactly the premise of this argument. All right. All right. I like it. And there's, so, more, and there's more going on, right? We've got people who are new to the game who don't want to commit the five hours and, you know, the club and, you know, the tea time nonsense and the getting the handicap, all the kind of stuff we've already covered in a few episodes. That's still, I think, will be there. Okay. But it doesn't have to be true for this to come to life. The need to reconnect with people continues to be at an all-time high and golf and even simulator golf and virtual golf provides a great way to do that. I think we're all in need of that at a very, at a very personal human level, not to get all weird on you, but I think that's, I think that's a thing. And I sort of see simulator golf really fitting a pattern of other really big disruptive exponential technologies that are out there. Can I, not to go all academic on you, but can I kind of throw some some mumbo jumbo MBA frameworks at you to kind of make my case here? Well, you're overeducated and your wife's a college professor, so we're gonna allow it. All right. So I don't know if, if people have heard this, this is the, the six Ds of exponential disruption, right? This is coined by Peter Diamandis in, in his book, Bold. It's digitization, which is pretty self-explanatory. Deception. So something's been around for a while, doesn't generate too much buzz and simulators have been around for, for quite some time. Then it gets disruptive. And I hate the term because it's misunderstood and misused sometimes. But in this case, it's really about the fact when you start seeing an inflection point, how people gravitate towards simulator and non-green gas golf, right? Top golf, drive shack, et cetera. We're seeing those things really be in vogue. And they get demonetized, meaning they get cheaper and more accessible that way. They get dematerialized, they get smaller. And this is all about like the, you know, Mevos, Vivos and all the other like, you know, simulators that are cheaper and you sort of attach to your phone and you get it out of a box that way. And finally, they get democratized, which means they get shared with, with a bigger group of people for all the factors listed above. And I sort of see simulator and non-green grass golf really following this pattern. The democratization may still have to play out, and that's what I think 2022 will be a lot about. But the other things are really either have either happened or are in play really well. So that's kind of how I think about technology and was really primed to break out through the 60s and i think simulator golf fall fall somewhere in there yeah it's hard to argue against any of those points i think the democratization i think another tailwind is social media i think golf has for whatever reason i'm not a social scientist or psychologist but there's a big social media factor to golf these days and that's going to help in the democratization. So I think your predictions sound. I would say the only place I would push back is I am not the target audience for like a putt shack or whatever, obviously, but I've been to a couple of them and they strike me as a huge capital investment, 
but I don't know how you get your money back out of those deals. And if economic conditions soften at all, it's expensive, you know, to go in there and do the putt putt and get, you know, $11 beers or whatever. I could see those places being a big disaster and there's going to be some winners and some losers. And I could definitely see a lot of losers in the space as well. So we'll see. Well, I like you, I'm not really in the core audience either, other than the fact that I live in a place that's very cold. So simulator golf really jumps out right around now. Yeah. And I think you're, what, what was the word? The dematerialized, getting smaller. Like you said, the Rapsodos and the Mevos or whatever, for five, 600 bucks now, you can hang up a net in your basement and you can use those very economical, tiny launch monitors. And you don't get the screen and you don't get all the bells and whistles, but you can play, right? You can get in the game. I don't know exactly. We actually have some, some people in this space we're going to talk to on this show this year. And that's part of today's episode is like, let's make some predictions and then see if we can kind of unearth some of these truths throughout the year as we line up guests and dig into some of these things, but that's definitely happening. All right. So you're a little more skeptical on simulator golf, but. And we've been asking that in the buy or sell round for, since the show started. And I think we've had 12 buys and zero sells on simulator golf. Haven't we? I think so. The only exception might be, I think Harry Arnett sold. It might be the only one, but that might be more personal preference than actual bullishness on the concept. All right. What's one, what's one prediction you're making for the new year? All right. I'll circle back to our previous conversation a little bit. I, one prediction I have is that one of the new golf media, whether it's no laying up or fried egg or someone of that ilk will get acquired. I think that there's been an acquisition spree in media. The ringer got picked up by Spotify for a bunch of money. Just last week, the athletic got picked up by the New York times. They, are saying The Athletic has 1.2 million subscribers. Those golf media companies I'm talking about have really strong podcast numbers, I would imagine. They're very popular, at least in the space. And the bull case for anything around golf is that the target audience, the users, the listeners, the viewers come from an affluent socioeconomic demographic, right? So the fried egg may have a tiny number of very devoted, very wealthy listeners. And I think it makes them a prime acquisition target. So I think uh, the media landscape is continuing to shift. And I feel like one of those is going to get soaked up by, by a legacy media company trying to reinvent itself and survive. What, what prevents the me- legacy media company, in your words, from building their own version of whatever they're trying to buy? I mean, hell, if we knew the answer to that, we could go pitch it to CNN and to all the Comcast and all these companies. I don't know. I, I, I think that the, the sauce, to steal a word from the new media companies, the sauce, it's just hard to get that, that recipe right of having an edge and having a new perspective and not being beholden to a million corporate partnerships. And I just think it's hard to like have a farm system. I think it's easier to go buy free agent talent. Are you indirectly putting up a for sale sign on our show? Look, our M&A people told me that we shouldn't talk about it on the show. So I think right, uh, right. our, our bankers said that until the deal's closed, you know, don't bring it up. Okay, fair enough. Look, I mean, obviously you brought up a good examples where it's already happening, right? The question I'm wondering, what's different about golf? What's different about the specific media players in golf that would give me a reason I want to sort of disagree with you? 
I've not seen any, right? I, I don't, I can't think of any off the top of my top of my mind. Clearly, viewership is still there. People are engaged. The game's growing, right? So it's so all of that makes makes you want to be more inclined to believe you than go against you on this one. But you know, until something happens, it's a crazy idea. So we got to wait and see. Yep, we'll wait and see. I just have I just have a feeling. That's why it's predictions. I could be dead wrong. All right. All right, your turn. So I had one about media too. And I can't tell if this conflicts with what you said or not, but I think the media landscape will get more fragmented. It already has been, right? Look at the creation of podcasts and new niche magazines, et cetera, that are out there, including us, I might add. And I think that'll only continue. My, what would have to be true here is TV consumption is declining, right? 25% less in 2020 than 2015. And that is expected to continue. And, and that will lead people to sort of like want to track the game in other ways. Like I, I think back to what golf that I watched this year. The only two events I watched more than two hours of were the Masters and the Ryder Cup. That's it. I still felt like I was pretty up to speed what was going on through podcasts and magazines and like stuff that just pops up in my feeds or people I follow on Twitter. I kind of felt like I was pretty plugged in. I don't think I really sat and watched a whole lot of golf. And, and that's been a pretty good experience for me and it works in a very asynchronous way. What's your take on this? Well, I think your experience is shared by a lot of people. I don't watch NBA games, but I follow the NBA. And I think when I just look at it as like hours spent, right? Hours of your attention. You said you probably watched golf. You're talking like 10, 20 hours for the whole year. But I guarantee you hours spent with golf of your attention was not down 25% from 2015. Guaranteed. When, now, again, could be a podcast driving to work. Nobody drives to work in 2021. A lot of people don't. But guaranteed your attention was up. So, yeah, I guess... Fragmented is one way to put it. It's, I think it's the opposite of my prediction, honestly, because you're making the case that everyone can continue to have their own little niche. And I'm making the case that as the PGA Tour lose your attention on the weekly telecast, they're going to want to buy it back somehow. So if the tour wants your attention, they're going to have to buy No Laying Up or they're going to have to buy one of these podcasts or something, right? So I think we're on the opposite sides of the coin here. Maybe not. Maybe we're not. Because here's, here's the explanation that potentially brings the two together. And again, you may disagree with this. But for every acquisition that you're predicting, I'm predicting many multiples more new entrants coming in, right? Or new properties, right? A, a podcast from a company turns into two or three or four or whatever. So I, I still see net fragmentation. Yep even though I recognize that there might be some consolidation from the more mature players in the space that have emerged. So maybe, maybe there's room for both to be true. Yeah. Yep. There's definitely going to be more entrance, but getting critical mass, I mean, it took us, I mean, how many episodes did it take us to get to a million listeners per episode? You know, a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. That's a joke, but, <laughs> but, but it didn't take the Fire Pit Collective very long to get a million bucks. They raised one round of $1.25 million last year by assembling a team of very established people who broke out of mainstream golf media 
into more of these alternative formats that we're talking about with the, with the very basic seed angel investment over a million bucks right off the bat to fund a nice start for them. Yeah. So, so does that just tell you that like the ship is just burning past the point of, of like all those people jumping off legacy media brands to a startup that raised $1.2 million, which isn't a lot of money considering they have, like you said, a lot of great talent. Like, is that just a absolute putting up a sign on the door that just says like, this thing is dying. It's dead. There's nothing left in these old magazines or legacy media entities. Is that, is that what that says to you? It might, that, that might be one leap farther than I'm ready to go. Okay. It does tell me that these alternative mediums that are being invested in have legs. Now, yeah. if you think it's a zero-sum game of fighting for attention, and if attention is being grabbed somewhere, it's got to come out of something else, then I think what you have stated has merit. I just don't know if it quite works that way, right? Because if it's just like people want more and more golf, and they'll stick with their golf digest, and they'll take on this new stuff, yeah. then it may not be true. But if it's trading off one focus area for another, yeah. then what you said, I think is very true. Yeah. And that I probably goes, it goes more macro than the media landscape. Like you have to bring new people into the game because it is zero sum if you're not bringing new people in, because the only thing in the world you can't get more of is time. That's, yep. there's a finite amount of time. So if you're not bringing in new people, it is absolutely zero sum. Yeah, that's true. All right. I'll give you my next one. My 2022 prediction is that the PGL or the Saudi league or the premier golf league, that all of them amount to a big, fat, juicy, nothing burger. I don't think they go anywhere. And I don't think a single top 10 player commits to this league in 2022. I think it all amounts to not much. Now, do they do four events and get some guys like, okay, maybe, but does somebody say I'm going to apply my trade? away from the PGA tour, a top 10, top 20 player. I think no. And a year from now, we're still doing podcasts about the PGL and it's nothing more than that. So I think you just answered my next question. So a year from now, we're still talking about it. They're still around just kind of being noisy, but you don't think they're dead. Like, okay, wrap it up, forget it. Like it never happened and gone. Do you think it's still lingering? That's right. I think it's lingering. And I, I will say that it will drive some change in the status quo. I'm not saying it will. All of this talk comes from something, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire, for sure. But I don't think it will materially change the landscape of professional golf. It'll change it at the margin, and they might still be lingering. But do I think there's going to be a defection from the current model in mass? I don't. What are the biggest changes the PGA tour can make to really make the competing offers less and less attractive. Well, they're already making them. I mean, the pit money is like real money, right? It goes from 40 million to 60 million next year. The purses are huge. The players is at 20. Now the competing offer the tour is making is the money is not any bigger. Why would you go play all over the world? for an unsure thing when we've been around for 50, 60 years and you're making just as much and you have to fly two hours, not all over the world. Again, I am maybe not seeing it. I understand how equity works. I understand the concept of it. That is the kind of bull case for the Saudi league or the PGL. 
but I still don't hear a hook. I really don't. If I put myself in the shoes of a top 10, top 20 player, I still have not heard a hook. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think just the, we live in a time where folks who command a lot of attention are held to very high standards, not just in terms of what they do in terms of economic productivity for themselves, but in terms of their values and their social contributions, et cetera. And I think that carries a big weight for a segment of viewers, which translates into sponsors and all that kind of stuff. So you really got to talk about a whole lot more money to buy out some of those things for folks. And even though that money might be better for some of those leagues, potentially, it's not big enough of a gap to justify some of the things that folks would be giving up in the eyes of the population. So I'm with you. I, I agree with you in this prediction. Yeah. And I was watching some of Kapalua. And when you ask, like, what change could it drive at the tour, the current format, a lot of those players haven't played since the Ryder Cup or like played one time. Like Rom played once or twice, maybe in Europe. Cantlay, I don't think played in the fall. Cam Smith, who won Kapalua, said he didn't maybe played one time in the fall. So I think you're going to see the format for the best players in the world is 20 to 24 events, right? And when you start to look at it, you're, you might see some changes where some of the fall stuff changes and some of the you know, the FedEx cup season, I've, I've heard rumors that like some of the fall would be treated differently. So you'll, you're going to see some change at the margins, but you know, that could be an indirect effect of this whole breakaway league stuff. I mean, the whole, like get fewer events where the top players will go to is a good idea, right? Which is the, these other leagues sort of factor in totally, but the WGC, they're supposed to be that, but they don't really deliver on that. I don't know if you have a take on why that is, because it doesn't really, WGC doesn't get me excited. Like, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, that's a good question. I'd have to put a little bit more thought into that. But, you know, the smaller field, my thought was always that the smaller field eliminates the average tour guy that has having his best week. So you just get less storylines. You get a less crowded leaderboard. And sure, you get the stars because there's only stars in the field, essentially. But part of the appeal of your average week on tour is that it's usually a top 10, top 20 player up against the hundredth ranked player who's having his best week of the year. And I think you, you always lost that at the WGCs. And, and that's just one factor. It's not a very comprehensive answer, but it's one thing I've always thought. Yep. Okay. So I think this is a big year for betting in golf and golf will never quite get to the point where March madness is and all the Super Bowl stuff is in terms of that, like a critical moment which is good and bad because I think you have a lot of moments in golf that are very betting worthy. And I think it'll be a big year. You'll see a ton of growth there. I think, and I think, it, but I think it'll also be a big year for learning, right? Like how do we actually surface the right data at the right time? How does the viewer interact with their TV screen versus their actual betting screen? I don't know if you knew this, but 88% of Americans watch TV with another screen within reach. So that I think is a critical condition that makes this very, very realistic to be very successful. And I know I'm always culpable of being doing too many things on my phone or whatever while the TV's on. And if you can get some of that attention to go away from scrolling social media to betting, this will be big. And I think there's some really cool 
cross-screen activations to be had here. Yeah, the part about the second screen for sure. And then I actually didn't watch it, the golf last week at all via ESPN Plus, the new streaming deal for the tour. But I think I saw some stuff on social media about how you can do multi-screen and you can watch multiple ESPN feeds. You can watch, you know, a college basketball game and then the 14th hole is featured and then you can watch the main feed. And the next logical step is that the fourth screen or whatever you can put up on your TV is like you're sitting in a sports book, right? So I think, or DFS or honestly like an office pool, it doesn't necessarily have to be, there's just really cool gamification type things that are possible. So so I think you're right. And then another one that's, you know, small example, but they're putting a sports book in at TPC Scottsdale, which is going to be amazing. But when you're talking about kinks, there has to be some kinks that are going to get worked out there. There's about a million kinks a day without the sports book at that tournament. Kinks is, you know, in air quotes. So yeah. definitely a learning process, I think, for professional golf. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on this one. This will be this will be interesting, I think, to track in terms of how people really put their money where their mouth is in a lot of ways. So uh, I'm excited to see this one play out. Yeah. All right, I have my last 2022 prediction, and this is based on no inside knowledge or any blogs or dark web. Just a hunch that I have. I think that there'll be some big move in gender equity in professional golf, and the. USGA just came out with a $10 million purse for the women's US Open. There's just a lot of momentum behind that, which is good. And by say big move, I think there should be a tournament where you see the top men players and the top women players playing the same course or playing on a team or the Olympics is going to, you know, make it a, a, a team event. There's going to be some big deal, I think, that creates like Pinehurst U.S. Open back-to-back weeks is like whatever. It's it's cool, but I think there's going to be some kind of big deal where we get to see Justin Thomas and Rom and Nelly and all of them play together at some point. What do you think? Bring back the Wendy's three tour challenge, baby. Let's go. Three. I didn't say three tours. Okay, I didn't say <laughs> two tours. Fine. Yeah. Fine. And, and hell, no, maybe it's like four tours. Maybe it's there's a lot of different ways to to think about it. But there's something, and they're doing that event in Australia, which the Victoria uh, Open, the Victoria Open, where they had, you know, I don't know, kangaroos and ladies and men and juniors, and I don't know what they had, and it sounded awesome. But I think that comes that that goes more mainstream this year. Oh, that was the Ogilvy's thing. That was the the Sandbelt Invitational. Sandbelt, exactly. Yeah, that that was cool. I, look, I I I would love to see this come true, right? Like shake it up, the 72 hole stroke play, only PJ Tour player thing. We've seen enough of that, right? Like that's that's got it. We get enough of that. Mix it up. I get that it might not be always the perfect way to identify the best player every week. I don't need that. Like throw in some chaos, bring me some excitement. I I would love to see that. And I I'd like to think that it will come true. I, I really want this to come true. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So put this one in your framework. The underlying assumption is that sports continues to move towards a more equitable environment. And then the cause and effect is that the outcome is that we have an actual tournament we can watch where we can see guys and gals playing together. Yeah. I mean, it, I think you'd have to, I think you'd have to prove that, the guys and the gals creates as much ratings as just the guys. I think it's big. 
And I think you have to get, which, which in turn means you have to get the guys to want to support the women's game. Right. And I don't know if that's an ego challenge for a lot of the guys to miss the chance to compete against the, the best guys in the world or not, but that would have to be true. I think for this to actually, for your, for particularly your mixed event idea to come true. Yeah. I mean, I think there's momentum in the game behind women's golf. I really do. I think Stuart mentioned that in a couple episodes ago that he felt like the LPGA had some momentum. I take my daughter to Bobby Jones, the public course in our neighborhood for a Tuesday golf clinic most weeks. And we walk down the entire range, which is always packed. It's just been such a huge success. We've talked about it on this show a little bit, but it's like half females. It's moms bringing their daughters, you know, after school to hit some golf balls it's teenage, you know, junior golfers, but it's half boys, half girls. It's really cool to see. And it, it just surprises me every time I'm, I'm out there in a good way that um, you look up and down the driving range and it's, it's across ages and gender. So it's great. It's great for golf. Yeah, I, I, I think it is too. All right. All right. 2022 well, predictions are coming to a close along with our dry January, which ended on January 1st. Continue. Carry on. The floor, is, the floor is yours. Well, I have one more. All right. I, over the last few years, I've been bombarded with introductions and ads to brand new niche brands in the golf business that went all direct to consumer. It's been fun. Like I've kind of enjoyed getting to know some of these. and I, I've, I've bought plenty of stuff from some of these brands. I think that'll slow down. I just think the overall direct to consumer boom will slow down. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a knock on golf in this case. And what's, what's driving me to go there is I think the prices and costs for some of these things are growing faster than wages, which I think will exclude the next wave of customers for these brands. They're going to get squeezed out pretty quickly. And the cost of raising capital has to go up. When you sort of see like the effect of interest rates and stuff like that and how that permeates the valuations. Like we, like we talk about the Firebird Collective and what they raised. I think that's going to be harder and harder to come by, especially in, in some of these markets like apparel, physical goods that are much less scalable than media, for example. So that is my rationale for a lot of this. And incumbent brands are catching on, right? Like I asked you about the media, like what, what, what prevents the, you know, the New York Times from creating their own sports space blog and and pride and, and, and things. I, th I think for some of the the mainstream golf brands, they'll catch on and they'll be able to compete. Maybe not uh, completely extinguish some of the DTC upstarts, but at least cut in their cheese a little bit. So I think that those that scenario presents a bleak future for some of these DTCs that just don't can't get the scale in a lot of ways. Yeah, and. You know, I think it's something we're going to try to explore down the road on the course record show, which is DTC in golf, because it, it has been a boom, like you said. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a funnel for discretionary income. And I don't care what, like, the government stats on inflation say. I go to the grocery store. I go to, to get gasoline or I look at Zillow. Like, prices are crazy, you know, and it's squeezing discretionary for sure. So, um, interesting to see. I, I don't know enough. I don't know if I agree with your point that like the 
Polo or Peter Millar can create the cool factor that a more niche brand can. Like Titleist has one, their brand is what it is. And like an upstart golf ball brand that's cool and Instagrammable and DTC. I don't think Titleist can like spin off a, a line that has that same deal. They'll probably try. So I'm not sure if it's easier or harder. I'm not sure. I I, I don't know, but I don't I don't necessarily agree with you there. That could be true. And and it, look, when I make this prediction, I'm torn because my head says it'll slow down. My heart says I want this to continue. I think it's been good. I've enjoyed it, like I said. And when I say heart, that's kind of the key word because what these DTC brands have is brand. And brand is soul and soul appeals to heart, right? And that's what, what may overcome some of the other more macro, very logical left brain factors that I kind of went into. Yeah. So what wins out in that case, heart versus brain, I don't know. But I find myself struggling with those two factors in, in even just saying some of this. Yeah. And hey, that's a hard thing about predicting golf business in general is it's always how highly do you value the passion factor, right? Like your head says that Zach Blair, who has an Instagram following and sells a bunch of t-shirts and putter covers, there's a big gap, your head says, between going to buy dirt, build a golf course, and get people to give you tens of thousands of dollars for a membership. Your head says that's a big gap, but he's proven that the heart overcame there. People's passions extended way past buying a head cover. They've plunked down real money, and he's building a golf course, right? So I was dead ass wrong about that. And maybe there's some correlation there, but golfers are nuts. That that's a hard, that's a hard thing to quantify. Yeah. It's definitely a soft spot for a lot of otherwise very smart people, very rational people end up getting sort of caught up in the, in the passion for golf. You're right about that. Yeah. yeah. But we shall see. All right, Dan really enjoyed this. What else do we have for the, for the listeners? We have some, some cool plans for 2022. We thank everybody and appreciate everybody listening. And um, hopefully we can uh, continue to shed some light on the business of golf on the Course Record Show. Stay tuned. We're going to see if these things play out or not. We're going to hold ourselves accountable and, and you hold us accountable. So let us know if you think some of these are dead on or asinine predictions. Find us on, on social media and uh, tell us what you think. I can make a prediction. The dumbest thing we could have done is make predictions. We live in a world where, I mean, there's a one thing COVID has proven is it is impossible to predict what's going to happen. So here we are putting it all doesn't out make there. It, doesn't make it less fun. Doesn't it make doesn't. it less fun. That's true. That's true. All right. Cheers. Cheers.